Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast on the world of mergers and acquisitions. I'm your host, Alex Sherman. This week's Deal of the Week features a brand that's, well, I, I guess part of the problem is I'm not really sure how to describe this brand anymore. It, it used to be the hottest brand in teenage clothes. The song Summer Girls, which came out in 1999 by LFO, uses the brand as the hook of its chorus to capture a certain ethos or a certain type of person. Uh, I don't really know what it is now. I'm talking about Abercrombie and Fitch, the retailer which was at least once known for its shirtless guys and really weird perfume smell that permeated its stores and sometimes outside of its stores is in sales talks with Express and American Eagle. It also may garner some private equity interest. Uh, Abercrombie and Fitch's market cap has slumped to just $900 million, the company trading around thirteen fifty a share. To put that in perspective, in May of 2011, it was trading at $76 a share. To help understand what is going wrong or went wrong with Abercrombie and where it may go from now as Bloomberg retail reporter and co-host of Material World, another Bloomberg podcast you should absolutely check out if you don't know it already, Lindsay Rupp. Hey, Lindsay. Hey. Thanks for joining us in this crossover podcast episode. Thanks for having me. Maybe you can help me figure out what is Abercrombie and Fitch now and how has this evolution taken place? Yeah, so Abercrombie is two major brands now. There's the Abercrombie and Fitch brand, which has a kids line, and uh, and and it's the Abercrombie that you remember, right? Except it's it's a little older. They're trying to aim it at college age kids. It's still very preppy. Uh, there are no shirtless dudes anymore. They they're wearing clothes now because they decided uh, if we want to sell clothing, we should probably have our models actually wear it. Uh, that was a novel idea for the company After at the 15 time. 15 years of going yes. through the shirtless phase. Uh, but then their other major brand is Hollister, and Hollister is a little lower priced. It's aimed at a younger customer, so high school age. And the idea is that you'd start shopping at Hollister, and then you'd kind of wander across the mall as you got older and continue shopping at Abercrombie. But Hollister is more of a beachy Southern California vibe. Um, but, you know, it's all apparel. It's men's, it's women's, uh, and they want you to buy more of it. So what has happened here? I mean, this company was doing fairly well just a few years ago. I know the founder left. Was that sort of what escalated the the sudden downfall of Abercrombie? Or is it more the macro story that all of these retailers are struggling, or both? Uh, it's a little bit of both. So Abercrombie's uh, iconic CEO left the company, was sort of forced out, you know, forced into retirement. He'd He'd been credited with making the brand what it was, right? It was in all. It was a, a bastion of pop culture, um, but it it didn't change, right? So it, it came into prominence at a time when kids wanted to wear logos, and having a big moose on your chest really said something about who you were, and and you were almost wearing a uniform. Uh, that's changed a lot. Kids don't want to shop that way anymore. Adults don't want to shop that way anymore. They want to. Uh, build their own sort of image, and they want to shop at a lot of different brands, and they really don't want anything with a logo on it unless it's like a Nike logo or a Stan Smith shoe. Um, so that's been a huge problem for Abercrombie, and, and the big criticism levied at them was that they did not adapt at all. So Mike Jeffries, the CEO, was unwilling to make any big changes. He, you know, he'd made it into what it was. He'd found all these models. He'd uh, decided how much scent would be in the store and how dark they would be, and that there should always be a line at the cash wrap. But he wasn't willing to change with the time. So eventually, he was forced out. But by, at that point, you know, it was kind of too late, right? Apparel retailer was in serious decline as a sector, and uh, you know, there's only so much change you can make to a brand without totally giving up its heritage and and totally confusing the customers that you have left. So uh, now they're kind of caught in this cyclical 
issue that that all of apparel retailers in only they have this added uh, ding to the brand going into it. So a few questions on that. Let's start really, uh, you know, sixty four thousand foot view. Just in general terms, why are all these retailers struggling so badly now? What is the major cause of this? I wish that there were just one major cause because then there might be one solution. But there are uh, there are a number of problems that the retail uh, industry is is facing right now. One major one being that people don't go to malls to shop like they used to. You know, you're probably browsing online. It's really easy to price compare. Uh, it's really easy to just order a bunch of stuff from your couch and then return what you don't like. So, so does that mean it's the real estate cost, or is it just that there's too many brands in there, an online world? And it's both. So you have all these stores that aren't getting any traffic, and you're paying a lot of money for them. But also, uh, there are a million little online-only brands that maybe one of them isn't taking down your business, but all of them together, it's death by a thousand cuts. So, okay, that's that's question one. Question two, can we talk about the scent a little bit for Abercrombie? Because I honestly, maybe I have a more sensitive nose than people, but I could not stay in that store for a long period of time. I would have to leave because the scent was so overpowering. How did they do this? How did they make that scent so overpowering? Why did they do it? And then... Was there like an actual conscious effort to lower the scent in the stores? Because it's not there. If you walk by that that flagship store on Fifth Avenue in New York City, you could smell the scent from outside of the store. But I just walked by yesterday in preparation for this podcast. Not there anymore. Yeah, I mean, this was part of the big, uh, you know, branding of Abercrombie, right? So, so they'd have store associates go around and spritz scent throughout the store a certain amount every day, and you know, they had to dress a certain way and they had to look a certain way. Uh, that's changed. So, a couple years ago, when they were revamping the store after the CEO left, they decided, you know, we're going to tone down this sort of nightclub vibe. We're going to turn the music down. The music used to it be was really blaring, loud absolutely. and clubby. Yep. Yeah. So they've turned the music down, and they said they were going to reduce the scent by 25%, a very precise amount. They're going to make the stores a little bit lighter. So you can yes, they were super the dark, clothes. too. Yeah. yeah, It was a really bizarre experience shopping there. Right. Yeah. They yeah. wanted you to feel like you were cool and a part of this like edgy thing, but parents didn't enjoy going in there, and parents are the one with the money. That's right. And and even I mean, I was not a parent at that time, which was I'm talking about like seven years ago or still. But it's still, I just found the whole thing disorienting. Now, Absolutely. maybe there, it was... There were a ton of tourists, I remember, that lined up out the door for a long time to go into that store. So, look, maybe they knew what they were doing. And, and frankly, of course, they knew what they were doing for many years. So this leads me to my third question that, from what you were saying just a minute ago, is there a why to why kids don't want logos anymore? Or it's just this is sort of the culture has led us here for some reason? I mean, a big part of it's social media. You know, you're constantly posting pictures of yourself online. You don't want to be seen in the same thing twice. You you want to build this sort of unique personal brand, and part of that is showing like I can build this cool outfit uh, without the help of somebody telling me how to dress. I see. Um, okay, so why sell now? That's an excellent question. I mean, I, they have a new CEO who who was just named. Uh, she's been with the company for a little while, but they really took their time in, in installing her in that top seat. And I think the company's sort of looking around at those options and saying, like, what are the odds that we can really do this on our own? You know, they've been in decline for, for quite some time, and it doesn't really look like there's going to be any kind of major shift that turns things around for them. So I think they're looking for, I don't know, for synergies, for some help, for some capital. So, you know, unlike some of the other industries that we cover, certainly on this podcast, it's possible that Abercrombie is is thinking about this in a way where if we don't do a deal, we might be a few years from now 
staring our own demise you know in the face because we've seen some other retailers actually go bankrupt in the past year, right? Absolutely. One of their biggest rivals for the teen customer in the mall, Aeropostale, filed for bankruptcy not very long ago. They just couldn't couldn't do it, couldn't fix themselves. And just yesterday, Rue 21, I know, another teen retailer Absolutely. filed for bankruptcy. But if you look at the potential buyers for this company, which both Bloomberg and the Wall Street Journal have reported, two names in particular, Express and American Eagle. Express shares are down 51% this year. So that might be an example of, and by the way, Express's market cap is actually less than Abercrombie's at this point. So it seems unlikely that Express would be a buyer there, maybe more of a merger of equals situation. Uh, But that seems like just putting two struggling retailers together and somehow hoping that through synergies or whatever, the, the combined company can last a little bit longer. American Eagle has done a little bit better, although if you turn back the clock till 2008, shares are trading basically flat, just some ups and downs in between. But at least that's a $2.3 billion company that that seems a little bit healthier than the other ones. Is there a why to why that company's done a little bit better? American Eagle has actually kind of successfully mounted a comeback. I mean, they really went into denim in a big way, and denim has sort of come come back into trend. That's been helpful for them. Uh, they also have started selling underwear. Underwear is very hot right now, uh, intimate apparel. Um, but, you know, I think that they just were able to chase into the trend a little better than Abercrombie. Their price point was a little bit lower than Abercrombie. Uh, and and frankly, I mean, I, who knows how much of this is luck, but it's it seems like it's worked out better for American Eagle. And they were never uh, sort of in the hole that Abercrombie was also. So you mentioned Abercrombie has a new CEO. Do they have a and they've gotten away from sort of what made the brand the brand, you know, when when LFO came out with their song, and certainly when I was in high school. Is there any evidence that their new strategy is paying off for them or might pay off for them? Uh, We haven't seen any evidence yet. I mean, Abercrombie still does have a huge international presence, right? Like you said, a lot of tourists still come to that Fifth Avenue flagship store, and that could be part of the appeal of a deal with Abercrombie is that international expertise and that international brand awareness. Um, But, you know, No, we haven't seen a lot of evidence that this is working. I mean, the company says, look, look, we're getting a ton more impressions on social media, you know, but part of it is we actually make an effort now. So you're you're really comparing numbers to nothing, right? Before you made no effort. So how do you know that you're really getting more eyeballs than you were before? Is there a pattern to sort of the demise of these stores? In other words, do they often contemplate selling themselves and then they can't find a buyer? Do they sell the real estate before they go under? So most companies don't own their own real estate, um, so that's not always an option. I mean, it is for if you're Macy's, right? They have they own a lot of their real estate, but they own the big store at Herald Square, right? Yeah. That they're thinking about selling, yeah. But these specialty yeah. apparel guys, you know, it's it's leases. Uh, you know, sometimes they're being you know kicked out of their leases by the mall owners. I mean, that's that's really that's a big problem when they when it does come time to sell themselves or file for bankruptcy is what do we do with all these leases? I mean, that's part of the reason they end up in financial dire straits is because that's a big cost. But, you know, we really haven't seen a strategic apparel deal, I think, since 2015 when Asina bought Ann, uh, wow. which owned Ann Taylor and, and Loft. And and that hasn't turned out so great. So, you know, maybe they'll hope for a private equity buyer. Um, but again, most of the companies, the specialty apparel companies we've seen get bought by private equity, get loaded up with debt, and then continue to struggle. I mean, this sounds a little bit like what we talked about a few episodes in the publishing industry, where when Meredith and Time were trying to combine and that deal just fell apart, 
I think oftentimes when you're in a cyclical decline industry, even though there are synergy reasons why you should put two companies together, if just the macro trends are so bad, you can't pull off these strategic deals, even if there is some strategic sense to them. Right. And I think a lot of the problem that these companies are facing is that they have too much scale, like they're too big to be successful companies. And uh, the talk in the apparel industry has been lately that, you know, maybe you can operate as a successful company, but you have to be a lot smaller. You have to be a really niche brand and really own your target audience and be okay with the fact that that audience might not be huge. And that's a really hard thing to sell to investors. Hey, we're going to get smaller. Right. Especially if you're a public company. There, yes. In fact, there's no real way of doing that. No. So that might be the private equity play here. You sort of have to go private and then get really small. And then in, in I suppose in, I wouldn't say a miracle case, but close to that, you might be able to get really, really small, then go public again, and then grow to be big. But I would imagine the more likely play there is you go private, get really small, and then you combine with something else to yeah. try to gain scale, and maybe you're able to make it as a public company again. Yeah, I mean, look at what's happening with J. Crew. They were bought by private equity. They've tried to go public, and they just can't do it. The The industry is just in too bad of a place, and the J. Crew brand itself is suffering. Right. So, so, so in the end, these brands may just be housed. You're seeing it a little bit in the restaurant industry, actually, where these umbrella companies are developing. In fact, there's a company called Restaurant Brands that has bought Tim Hortons and Burger King and Popeyes. And, and, and I wonder if we see that same type of thing. Is there anything like that that exists in the retail industry? Yeah, there are a couple. So there's a Cena that I mentioned. They own a couple other companies like Dress Barn and Ann Taylor. Uh, there's companies like VF Corp. They own North Face and Vans and Timberland. Um, and then there's PVH, which owns companies like Tommy Hilfiger. I mean, they're all branding companies. And, uh, and those work to some extent. Like, they're doing better. And then you have other companies that are kind of portfolio companies like Gap. Gap owns the Gap brand, but they also own Old Navy and Banana Republic right. and Athleta. Sure. Yep. And again, the strategy there is like, oh, well, if low end isn't working, at least we also have high end. So at any given point, one of our brands at least should be performing, outperforming the others. But as we've seen with Gap, that doesn't always work. Yeah. Oftentimes you end up by synergizing, you end up cannibalizing your other brands. Yeah, I'm not sure there's an easy answer here. Do you feel like a deal will get done with Abercrombie? What's your gut? I think it's unlikely to be a strategic deal. It's possible a private equity buyer comes in. Uh, maybe even, I don't know how much money Mike Jeffries has left. I mean, maybe he'll come back and try right. to Right. That, that's something we've seen before where, yeah. where kicked out founders come back and try. We saw it with American, American Apparel. American Apparel, yeah. Um, although that didn't really work. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's sort of a, a warning case about maybe why a Mike Jeffries uh, return might not be in the cards. Although I think Mike Jeffries' uh, past record might be a little less. Um, controversial let's use that only word. slightly yeah yeah um so we'll see uh we'll see the, the the future for abercrombie and fitch uh a brand that was once on top and now i think sort of a mystery on on its future Lindsay rupp bloomberg's apparel retailer and co-host of the material world podcast thank you for joining us thank you so much for having me that's it for this week's episode. Check out all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts or Bloomberg.com or the Bloomberg Terminal. You can follow me on Twitter at Sherman4949. Lindsey Rupp is at L-C-R-U-P-P, L-C-Rupp. Alec McCabe is our head of Bloomberg Podcasts, and Sarah Patterson is our producer. Sarah, let's hear some of that Summer Girls to play us out. Summer, for the summer. I like girls that wear Abercrombie and Fish. 
Can't it's secret summer. if I had one wish. But she's been gone since that summer. Since that summer. 